So, good morning. I'd like to continue this reflection on the Satipatthanas, the four ways of establishing mindfulness in the body, in feeling tone, in mind states or moods. And the fourth is a little hard to summarize, but in cognitive slash process. A friend of mine refers to, they refers to these as a four channels of experience that all of us live in the midst of in every moment. That channel one is the body, the somatic tone. Channel two is uh, Vedana or hedonic or feeling tone. Channel three is uh, jitta, mind states, moods. And channel four is, as I mentioned, cognitive process, harder to define. Now, these channels are always broadcasting every moment. They're always broadcasting. They're they're all interrelated right now. All these channels are are actually alive for you. What we actually do in our lives, we sometimes have, you know, we switch to channel one or we switch to channel three. Um, And in practice, of course, we begin to contemplate these different aspects of experience Uh, Not individually, not separately, but highlighting them with our attention. Now, yesterday, Narayan was speaking about establishing mindfulness in the body, such a powerful piece of this teaching. You know, if you look at the Satipatthana, you know, there's pages dedicated to mindfulness of the body. Much of it we never actually touch on in retreats, you know, such as, you know, the elements, the contemplation of aging, and uh, death, you know, there's much that we have never even raised in retreats because it's such a huge domain of contemplation. And as we begin to explore some of the other aspects, some of the other Satipatthanas, it's really so important to remember that we never leave the body behind. This is always our anchor, always our home base. To learn to be an embodied human being is just so challenging, you know, We tend to have this sort of invisible line across our neck, you know, and we live up here, you know, and the body drags along behind uh, somewhere, you know, often forgotten. And it is not easy to be an embodied human being for so many reasons, you know, the reasons of the body not feeling like a safe place to be. You know, it's not always that lovely to look in the mirror. Um... You know, when the body's ill, when it's aging, if there's histories of trauma, you know, the body doesn't feel always like a, a place to be. But this, this is our place where we first learn to befriend the body, however it is. And it's a primary transforming lesson for the whole of our lives. This core, core relationship of kindness brought into the body, and wakefulness that brings us really to meet life as it is, with all its uncertainties, its change, the unpredictability of conditions that are reflected in the body. This is our classroom for meeting life as it is. Three primary jobs of sati. The first of the jobs of mindfulness is to sever the link between feeling tone and underlying tendencies or patterns of reactivity. This is the first primary job of sati. 
um, the second primary job of mindfulness or sati is to clean up the field of perception. Clean up the field of perception. How our perceptions, the way that we uh, perceive the world is so loaded with association, with memory, with history, so we rarely see anything anew. And because a field of perception is often so distorted, is deeply implicated in our tendencies to repeat past reactivity because those rea- that reactivity is associated with perception. The third primary job of sati is to reframe cognition, um, to be able to shift our views about how things are, how we are. And the fourth primary job of sati, which uh, is only alluded to in the discourses, but I think is much more highlighted today in research into mindfulness, is, is about rebalancing negative attentional bias. You know, how human beings seem to be hardwired to give more weight, more value to the imperfect, the difficult, um, uh, to, and actually to, to have almost tunnel selective attention that tends to focus much more on the negative and the difficult. And we, we see that, don't we? You know, you come into a room and, you know, you don't see the lovely, you know, the loveliness. Oh, that, that cushion's slightly out of line, you know. Uh, you know, you don't see the 99% of your body that's just doing fine. You know, you see the 1% that's really, you know, difficult. You know, you, you don't, we tend not to see, you know, the 98 women who are just gliding through this retreat. We've got that one, you know, who's really irksome, you know. Uh, you know, so it, there's there's many ways in which sati is is not just about watching things. It's actually about changing the shape of the mind. It's about changing the shape of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we come to this second way of establishing sati in Vedana, the Pali word Vedana. Right now, we live in an ocean of Vedanas, all of us. There's nothing outside of Vedana. Okay? So Vedana, when we translate it, we need to be careful. It's often translated as feeling. Sometimes it's translated as hedonic tone, which is you know, not something people easily relate to. But it's about feeling tone. So it's not, nothing to do with emotion. You know, uh, this is about feeling tone of experience as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Now, that feeling tone of experience is how sense impression registers in consciousness. Okay? So I ring the bell. Before you even get to bell, there is a feeling tone of how that lands. It's a changing landscape, you know? That feeling tone of, you know, you hear the bell, you know, you're having a really miserable sit. It lands as really pleasant before I even get to thinking, you know, oh, that's the end of the sit, you know. You're sitting on the precipice of awakening, you know. You hear that sound, oh, that's really unpleasant. This is pre-verbal. This is pre-verbal. It's really important to recognize that it's pre-verbal. It's not, do I think about, is that pleasant? Or do I think, is that unpleasant? Now, this is in thoughts, 
It's in moods, it's in body sensation, it's in sights, it's in sounds, it's in taste, it's in smell, that sensory impressions land with a particular feeling tone that is pre-verbal. We're not figuring it out, you know, it just lands that way. Our reactions to Vedana are also often pre-verbal. We start to move towards the pleasant. We start to move away from the unpleasant. We start to dissociate in the midst of that which is neither. We don't think, am I going to move towards the pleasant? We're already opening the fridge door. Okay? We don't think, am I going to move away from the unpleasant? We've already shifted our posture. So this is not moving through, not being filtered through any kind of discernment or um, in the absence of mindfulness. This is not being filtered through any kind of discernment or evaluation uh, or consideration. So Vedana tone in an unaware mind seems to be directly linked into these underlying patterns of reactivity. You know, the unpleasant triggering aversion, the pleasant triggering wanting, and that which is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, basically triggering dissociation. Although in my mind I'm not convinced there is anything that's actually neither pleasant nor unpleasant. There's just that which we don't pay attention to. So this, this process of imprint reactivity is so automatic. And that movement away, of course, it is why Vedana is said to be the primary building block of all experience. The Buddha once said that Vedana rules consciousness, that Vedana is the queen of consciousness. So the moment, of course, there's that movement away, there's a process set in motion, isn't it? You know, the movement away, we hardly even notice. You know, we're pushing distancing ourselves from the unpleasant. We hardly even notice. We're already out the door. And then that starts to build a world, doesn't it? I really don't like that. I really hate that. What am I going to do to avoid that in the future? What does that say about me? What does it say about the world? You know, and we start to see our world of experience being shaped. You know, there's the pleasant, we're automatically moving towards it, and we begin to world, build a world of experience. You know, life is good, you know, and I'm really doing well, and, you know, all these folks are really fantastic, you know, and I'm coming back here, but, you know, next time in a slightly improved way, you know. So we're already building this world of experience, moment to moment to moment. So this is the job of sati. This is the job of sati. Where it, but begin to, to sever that link that seems so automatic between feeling tone and reactivity. doesn't mean that nothing happens, you know. The unpleasant may be there, you know. That, but instead of my being already out the door because my knee is hurting, you know, I might bring in some discernment. I might be able to ask the wisdom question of what is going on here. I might be able to ask the compassion question of what does this need. So we're not trying to eliminate responsiveness. What we're trying to sever or to begin to question is the automatic nature of that movement towards and the pushing away. Because this can govern our lives, if we're honest. 
you know, this can govern, govern every moment of experience, you know, because we, we live that reactivity, you know, in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, you know, this is what can drive our lives. And what we're really considering, that our lives actually can be guided by something other than that automatic reactivity, you know, of care, of responsiveness, of investigation, of mindfulness, rather than just being pushed through life like, as Marcus Aurelius said, like puppets on the ends of the strings of our impulses. So, how do we bring this into our practice? Well, you know, practicing with uh, Vedana tone is, is really does take some some time and some dedication and some investigation and some exploration. So what I don't want to do is to encourage you to turn this into the project of the day, you know, um, because then we just get busy again. Um, but I do feel it's so important that we we begin, you know, when you start to move away from something in your body, in your thoughts, pause for a moment. What is the feeling tone? What is the feeling tone? How do you know that? When you start to move away from something, you know, ah, pause for a moment. Ah, what is the Vedana tone? People tell me when they really do practice a lot around this Vedana tone of experience, it is so powerful in beginning to kind of diffuse the narrative and the story building. It's also so interesting, you know, we begin to see because we actually, when we're not aware, we see feeling tone as being implicit in experience, you know. Oh, that is, that is pleasant, you know, like the bell example. Oh, that is implicitly unpleasant. Now, there's, can you see the problem with that? Now, if I see that as being implicitly pleasant, I've got all the ground I need for craving. Hmm? Without seeing feeling tone as being implicit in an object, there's actually no ground for craving. Now, there, there is a very small proportion of experience which is probably implicitly unpleasant. You know, if somebody came in here, went around the room thumping us all, I doubt if anybody would volunteer to say, that was really nice. You know. the grief is unpleasant. You know? So there, is, there are parts of experience that are collectively you know, experienced as being unpleasant. But a lot of this, we're at, this is rooted in history. I've seen this as being pleasant in the past, so I believe it to be implicitly pleasant now so I've got all the grounds I need to want that to pursue that to to feel that I need that depend on that if I see something as being implicitly unpleasant I've got all the ground I need to live a life of that that's something I don't do I don't go there I avoid that but actually what we see in our own experience is a changing landscape of of Vedana tone depending on moods depending on conditions you know, something that is pleasant in one moment is quite unpleasant in another. Yeah? Something that is unpleasant in one moment is perfectly fine in another. So we're not talking about drama here. We're talking about real subtlety of experience. Now, again, I, I, I don't want you to turn this into uh, a project. 
But it is really a valuable exploration in terms of understanding how we can walk new pathways of responsiveness rather than being so bound, it can feel, into these repetitive patterns of reactivity of, of towards and away from. So you might just take some moments of pause. You know, often we're looking at Vedana retrospectively. You know, you're sitting and suddenly there's a loud noise in the room. And before you even have a word for it, a perception for it, you know, there's an imprint of a Vedana tone. And actually, rather than going into trying to figure out what that is and pin it down, it can actually be quite useful to to pause and just notice the Vedana tone. You know, when, when you go for lunch, you know, see how your eyes are drawn to the blackboard, you know. What is it? You know, ah, pleasant, unpleasant. You know? when, you, when you leave the hall and you suddenly find yourself, uh, you know, uh, somehow fascinated by the notice board. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is moving us to see that as being pleasant? Is there a mood? Is there some sort of discontent? In so just beginning to have those pause moments in the day where, you know, this, this, this domain of sati, this way of establishing mindfulness, is highlighted. You need to just take a sense right now. What are the Vedanas that are present for you? In your legs, touching the mat or the cushion. In that sensation, is that pleasant? Is it unpleasant? You know, the touch of the air on your skin. Is that pleasant? Is it unpleasant? The mood that's present right now. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? It's beginning to have that felt sense of this world of Vedanas that we live in the midst of, and the power that Vedanas have to shape experience when they're not held within the field of awareness. But as I said, we don't leave the body behind, and this continues to be our anchor. So, so take a moment to find a posture of wakefulness, Establishing a posture of embodied intentionality. Alert, upright, balanced, present. Being deeply aware of the life of the body just now. Changing landscape of sensation. That which is pleasant, that which is unpleasant, that which doesn't seem to register. 
mindful of the body sitting, the body listening, the body sensing, the body breathing. Simply knowing this, developing a calm abiding, a willingness to meet all moments equally. Mindful of the moments when your attention departs from the body, drawn to something more predominant. Bringing that same simple knowing. Being able to return.
In the last period of the sitting, again, just sensing how present your intentions are to be awake, to be here, to be established in the body.
So we're in the very heart of the retreat right now. There used to be a um, a support staff here who, every time a retreat would begin, after the first opening talk at the end, we would see this person in the dining room and, and he would say, the ship has left the harbor. <laughs> it was quite, quite endearing. So we're out in the deep blue sea right now. We're, we're, there's a sense, and I'm sure some of you can feel this, there's a very palpable sense of, of steadiness and of, um, of quiet and groundedness in the hall. I'm not saying that you feel that all the time, maybe every once in a while, but it's worth it to attune yourself to this, this sense in the hall of being quite collected and quite steady. And within that steadiness and collectedness, it being possible to open even more, to open the heart and to explore and to um, bring in a kind of interest and curiosity in terms of these Dharma topics, which are not intellectual Dharma topics. They have everything to do with our lives here and now. So I really want to encourage you to let life use you well throughout the day today. You don't need to consume anything. You don't need to use life up or anything like that. But um, to allow yourself to, to be used well by life throughout the day today. So wonderful. you know, um, So many different moments, ups and downs and challenges and wonders and this and that. And a day stretching out in front of one can feel kind of daunting. It's a whole day with nothing to do. And yet there's a a real luxury about it. You know, there's a luxuriousness within the um, downs as well as the ups and the challenges as well as the wonders. Uh, Just the simple luxury of being able to surrender to contemplation. You know, the beauty of surrendering to the contemplative life throughout the day today is something so, so beautiful and so precious. The Buddha said, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, may one remain mindful of this heart. So it's very much an instruction to encourage a sustaining of attentiveness throughout the day whether sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, to see if the walkings in particular can be equal to the sittings. You know, oftentimes we, we have a hierarchy and the sittings are, are supposedly better than the walkings or the walkings are supposedly more important than the sittings. But it can start to even itself out if we move from sitting to walking in a seamless way and value the walkings as much as we might value the sitting still. Walking, in terms of this this theme of luxuriousness, walking as if you had nothing to do. I mean, you don't have anything to do. But remembering that in the midst of the walking, not like as a a task or a, 
or something heavy about it, but just walking, just walking. When you find yourself walking and, and planning or walking and worrying, walking and um, regretting, walking and remembering, walking and, let the and part go. And just the simplicity and beauty of walking as if you had nothing to do. As you may already know, it's so interesting. Sometimes there's actually more insight that comes about through the walking while walking or while doing something odd, you know, picking up a spoon in the dining room. Ah, somehow all of a sudden one one sees in a different way. Um, unpredictable, unpredictable. This whole thing is surprising and unpredictable. We, we clamp down with our assumptions and our plans and our ideas about what should happen or what could happen based on what has happened, but allow it to all be unpredictable and surprising. I want to, um, I want to encourage you when you go through the day today to, when you touch anything, to see if you can touch it with metta, you know, so we're, we're touching things all through the day. We're picking up maybe a sock here and there or shoes maybe to put our shoes on. Um, door handles we're opening or closing. Um, all through the day, our hands are being engaged. See if our hands can be engaged with metta infusing the hands. It's a very wonderful, beautiful practice to undertake. You know, so you're, you're doing everything. Every time you touch something, you're touching. We've been, we've been talking about gazing, looking, seeing with metta, but touch with metta as well and see how that goes today. So we also just want to um, point out that there are more chairs in the hall that there, than there were. So those of you who um, might feel stuck on a cushion or on a on a bench and would prefer to move to a chair. There are more chairs available. Um, two, if you do do that, if you're sitting on a on a on the floor and you do want to move to a chair from time to time, please take your um, take your belongings with you. You know, so not to set up home in both places, just just in one place really feel free to set up home. But um but if you need to use a chair, move your things so that others, other women can sit on those chairs as well. All right, I just have a um, little, little short um, roomy inspiration about walking. Keep walking, though there's no place to get to. Don't try to see through the distances. That's not for human beings. Move within, but don't move the way fear makes you move. Don't move the way fear makes you move. Okay, so have a luxurious day, whether up or down or all around. Have a luxurious day. And if um, if people could hang back, and if those of you who are are coming to the interview groups at 9.15 could be allowed to leave first, that would be great. And please, again, come on time and not dilly-dally. Thank you.